Welcome back to Mark's Badness, now part of Chunkaluta. Hello. Hello. We're doing it again. Uh, we might have Shink Money 2 back on with us when they are available this episode, but they're definitely not here yet. Um, so it's me and Prez again. Uh, me being David. I guess I should specify that. <laughs> Here's the part we You'll give our never names. Get rid of There's us. my name. My name is me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nope. Never get rid of us. Um, and when we get back to the reading, uh, which we will do in a second here, we are going to start the prison writing section, um, prison writings, 1929 to 1935, uh, which will start with chapter six, hegemony relations uh, of forest and historical block on slide 145. Before we do that, again, new new show show is not fully up and running. And uh, so we're going to touch on current events and Prez is going to start us off. So I'm sure that you've heard of this by now and it's already horrible. So I'm sure you've heard about the tunnels in Brooklyn. Um, and at first it was fun. <laughs> Hello. We just got through saying that you're not joining us. So it was a lie. It was a lie. Did you hear about the tunnels from Lonnie too? In New York? Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> Apparently a guy in Brazil also fell through a tunnel that he dug in his kitchen and died. <laughs> um, earlier today or something. So it is, it is a great start to 2024. Um. Yeah, yeah. yeah he Pat he Williams he built it in his kitchen. Back. <laughs> um, your mic is a little low. Oh, uh, did you see Cat Williams go all land back? No. I I I just saw Cat Williams was ripping on like Steve Harvey for uh, swiping jokes. I, there's a but I don't know. I got sent to a bunch of interviews, but really, people want me to watch. I'm like, huh? <laughs> um, but so the, the there there's a whole tunnel system now in Brooklyn, and it's very hard to go through Twitter without seeing a bunch of anti-Semitic shit. Um, <laughs> so it's either like an incredibly funny post or an inc incredibly anti-Semitic post. Um, so that's that's a struggle now. But uh, the NYPD did the funniest thing ever, which was discover a series of tunnels being built under a synagogue in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Um, and long story short, the uh, the whole thing is even dumber than any anti-Semitic conspiracy theory could ever come up with because it's literally about two different sects claiming ownership over the synagogue. So the people who built the tunnels are the sect that don't officially own the synagogue, but want to go in there to study anyway. So they built a whole network of break-in tunnels <laughs> so they could go in there like after after dark or whatever so they could go study um because they're just a bunch of nerds um and apparently people called in stuff about the tunnels like months and months ago and when the uh, fire department came to check it out it was up to code so they so they didn't do anything um <laughs> It's great. Everything about it is so good. Um, like we got to hire these guys to like build stuff in New York. Like up, I bet it was up to code and under budget, which you do not get in New York building anymore. Honestly, without ripping off the contractors. <laughs> um, yeah. So that, that's, that was a whole thing going on in New York. It's really funny. As long as you can stay away from all the anti-Semitic posting. Um which the Pat Soaks are really digging into is really bad. Yeah. 
Well, and even then, I've seen people suggest that that's like, you know, when there's like a projection of the imperialists. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, that's not at all. You know, what? Yeah. <laughs> what are you well, saying? I've seen, like, I've seen like eight tweets from like fucking Jason Hinkle or whatever. And he's just like, why is there a dirty mattress coming out of the tunnel or a baby oh. carriage? God. Um, and it's then you just click on the click on it to read through the comments and it's just like no <laughs> Jeez, please God. just delete the app yeah just nuke the whole fucking thing um and elon probably news. loves that shit though oh yeah and great news higher uh, oh what's it? higher higher high country news just unionized who that is that is really great news i am about to turn the current events more negative um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure by the time people are listening in on this, all of this they will have heard by now. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but one one news story, and I so we talk about like propaganda is as much about emphasis as it is about lies, or more about emphasis than lies. That doesn't mean there isn't lying, um, but it's it's more about you know a range of things: neutral language versus pointed language, and where it's learned, where it's used what's covered and what's really not covered. And there's some plausibility to this because it's unfolded over several months that just because of how long it's taken to unfold, it hasn't gotten covered more. Um, and I don't know. I mean, anytime my, how I know something's covered basically is from my day-to-day, you know, conversations, right? Your coworkers, your old friends, your relatives, your everybody, you know, and, uh, and what's, being talked about and how surprised people are when you bring something up. And so I don't know exactly how it's been covered and because it's gone over months, it's easy to look up a bunch of articles and think, Oh, it's been covered a lot, but those are really spread out. But based on my conversations, this has not been covered well enough, which is unsurprising. Uh, and it's really grotesque. So in Jackson, Mississippi. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in Jackson, Mississippi, Shumani too, you did not see their face, but they, they immediately knew what I brought up. Um, yeah, this is fucked up. Yeah. So first, uh, there was Dexter Wade. Dexter Wade had gotten into an argument uh, with his mother and was just going for a walk um, to, to cool off after the argument in March of 2023 and disappeared. Um, his mother incessantly called the police office saying, you know, he's lost or is he trying to figure it out? Um he had apparently been hit by a police cruiser when he was out walking and all of a sudden, you know, like four days later, apparently the coroner had turned in the, the prints, the police claimed his prescription bottle was in his pocket. And that caused some, that, that's a cover up to the cause of commun- miscommunication, whatever the fuck, you know, it must be the pharmacist's fault. Never mind the fingerprint thing. Uh, never mind. They claimed he doesn't have his ID in his pocket, but I, th- I think someone had said he did have his ID in his pocket too. But even with the prescription bottle and the fingerprints, it should have been obvious. Um, and they had buried him in an unmarked grave. And she did not figure this out until October of 2023. Then, and it was marked, I think it was like six, it had a number on it. It was 672 on the grave. So it's like, what the fuck does this have a number on it for? And they set a ceremony to like, so she could uncover it and stuff like that. Uh, or like, so he could be exhumed and they could do it, you know, ceremoniously. And she had set it up with the the police and got it all set up that day that, that she was going to come get it. When she came up to the ceremony in early November to watch his body be exhumed, it was already taken out. It was, it was in a bag, everything. And they apparently like, didn't even exchange the body until they're up by the road. Right. Which, table how horribly insensitive that is and totally on par with cops to do that right um because that's just who they fucking are that seemed a little suspicious and she's like what the fuck is happening here right and so she pushed for investigations um into it and eventually they figured out that there's a place it's this is it's called popper's field uh apparently like just in co- conversation it's behind Hines County penal farm. Okay. And so this is where Jackson, Mississippi would jail people. Um, and 215 unmarked graves were found there. All of them 
killed by this police department or at least buried there by this police department. I, I can't imagine they weren't killed by them um, over an eight year period. And the, the detail I forgot to, to, to um, bring up earlier is when Bernstein Wade, I think that was his, his mother's name, Bernstein. Um, when his mother got him exhumed, she had to pay $250. And when they figured out all these other unmarked graves are up there, they've been trying to charge the people to exhume the bodies and find out if their relatives are in there. Um, th- this should be, th- this is something where obviously, you know, it's part of a broader system and none of this is unsurprising, but the horrors that make up this system and the people affected, of course, are incredibly important, but also these specific grotesque acts um, are the kinds of things that not only should, should drive us as much as all the little things that add up to action, but can help us explain these things to the average, like the whole reason we go through current events, right? Um, this should be on par with the gangs in LA, with the Rampart scandal, shit like that, right? With uh, Baltimore drug planting, um, I think there was a separate incident. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I don't have a lot of like follow up input to that, but holy fucking shit. That's 215 unmarked graves undoubtedly killed by this. And this is when we talk about like a thousand cops kill people per year. Right. And, you know, wars and stuff. We we and we brought it up that this last episode wars and stuff we get casualties because like there's deaths and then also there's usually even more life altering injuries. Cops do that too, and we usually only get deaths, only side, only self-reporting, um, only only shooting deaths specifically, not when they fucking hit people with cars, which is not always just like this um, Wade cover-up thing, right? Like sometimes people know right away that that they were killed in a wreck by with a police car. They're still fucking killing people, right? It, 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 with that, we have a thousand deaths a year. With that. The police are a fucking genocidal occupying force that just they just fucking kill people and throw them in cages. And none of that is breaking news to anyone here. But I I can't. It's an upsetting story. And I can't emphasize that enough right now. Well, to me, it reminds me a lot of like boarding schools and the unmarked graves there. You know, like who knows how many of those people are just people being murdered by guards and shit in the prison right next to it. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> again, you know, all all these ruling class structures, they they protect each other too, you know, and and the church and and police, I mean, those, those they're going to look out for each other. So, yeah. Um, that being said, are we are we done with current events or? Uh, yeah, I don't think it's it's breaking news to anyone that a genocide is still ongoing in Gaza. Obviously, there's nothing the, else has happened in the world. Nothing else has happened in the world. <laughs> <laughs> no events. Nice calm week. Um, but it is time to get back into the reading. Part bi six. <laughs> Forgot my Roman numbers. This is why. This is why that theory that Rome never actually got as good as the uh, the Islamic Golden Age because their numbering system was fucked is true. <laughs> <laughs> I have not heard that until now. I'm immediately on board. Yeah, no, that that's an absolutely correct theory, and I am I will defend it to the death. Um, section six: Hegemony, relations of force, historical block. Introduction. So this is the uh, editor talking. The reality in which Gramsci found himself after 1926 was one in which socialist revolutions had either been defeated or had failed to take place in the West, where capitalism has had managed to survive the post-war economic crisis and stabilize itself, where paramilitary regimes had stood firm or had been replaced with authoritarian ones. These conditions were very different from those of the phase of revolutionary offensive between 1917 and 1921. They demanded a new analysis of the political and ideological resources of capitalist societies, the resources of their extraordinary resilience. They also demanded a new strategy, one which would be different 
from that which had worked in Russia in 1917. It is the basis of such an analysis and strategy that Gramsci sought to develop in the prison notebooks. One important strand of this work was theoretical. The Marxist tradition in which he had matured as a political militant was strong on general predictions about the course of capitalist development and about connections between economic crises and political transformation, but it was weak on detailed analyses of the forms of political power, the concrete relations between social classes, and political representation and the cultural and ideological forms in which social antagonisms are fought out or regulated and dissipated. This is when you need to read Palancis and to a lesser extent Althusser. There was no adequate Marxist theory of the state or of what Gramsci called the, quote, sphere of the complex superstructures, end quote, political, legal, cultural. In order to conduct his analyses, therefore, Gramsci needed to make a theoretical critique of the mechanistic forms of historical materialism, most notably economism, meaning the overemphasis of the economy in historical development. He then needed to expand the space occupied by politics in the Marxist tradition. To do this, he went back not to the Marx of capital or the angles of anti-During, but to the theses on Feuerbach and to the Marx and Engels, but to Marx and Engels's historical texts like the 18th Brumaire of Louis Bonaparte, the Civil War in France, Revolution and Counter-Revolution in Germany. And remember, he's doing this all in prison So he's spinning this shit off from his memory. So we're going to come to him going like, remember this quote from the 18th Brumaire on page 92? And he's just reciting that from rote memorization. (laughs) So like, it's going to get wild. You're going to feel really inadequate. Wow. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready. He also drew on a a non-Marxist source, the Italian idealist philosopher Benedetto Croce. Remember who I I mentioned that he was his uh, mentor last time? Yep. For the latter's insights into into the ethico-political sphere, that is to say the ideological, moral, and cultural cements which bond a society together. Significantly, too, He went back to the passage on structure, the base, and superstructure in Marx's 1859 preface to a contribution to the the critique of political economy and read it in a strongly anti-economistic way, which breaks with the, uh, the way it was typically read at that period in time. What the passage says for Gramsci is that changing socioeconomic circumstances do not of themselves produce politic do not of themselves produce political changes they only set the conditions in which such changes become possible what is crucial in bringing about these changes are the relations of force obtaining at at the are the quote unquote relations of force obtaining at the political level the degree of political organization and combativity of the opposing forces, the strength of the political alliances which they managed to bind together, and their level of political consciousness of preparation of the struggle on the ideological terrain. It is in the context of this discussion that two central concepts develop, hegemony and historical bloc. And before we dive deeper too, there's a note that's partly a discussion that people have about the translation and also just about how to read Gramsci in his uh, prison writings. So this is when they would censor him because he was in prison, right? So if they mentioned that he would uh, write Marx or Lenin, for example, um, you know, for Lenin, he would just write Illich 
or for Mark Marx, he would, I, sometimes he would, depending on how deep into the censorship it was, sometimes we'll see him say Marx directly, or sometimes we'll um, refer to him as other things, or we'll see uh, Marxism referred to as the philosophy of science or something like that, but the philosophy of praxis or some other things like that. Now, there's discussion whether or not we can just one-to-one -one translate these things. Philosophy of praxis equals Marxism. Or if we should be more um, abstract about it and have more leeway with what it actually means. And I used to think that it would be it should be a one-to-one, -one, just swap it out because it was a censorship. Um, but the more I've read it, the more that sometimes I see that it's a very easy one-to-one -one where he clearly is just replacing the word to get around from the censor. Um, but other times I see that there's a little bit of a playfulness there where sometimes the word, uh, you know, like Marxism or... Uh, you know, like war of maneuver or war of position or uh, something else, some economism, these terms that have very specific meanings for us by making them a little more abstract because he's talking about culture and ideology and how can the party organize around those things by abstracting them slightly, not so much that they're meaningless, um, he actually gives us a little more meaning to what he's saying. Um, so I, it's an important thing to have in the back of your head and also uh, important to know that he is also being very playful with how he's writing the whole time. So we should also adopt that level of, of uh, creativity, I think, with the, with the reading as he was with the writing. That's why he's still one of my most favorite. <laughs> I think that's I, good. I, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I think that's part of why he has quickly become my favorite. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I think that's good because it's it's already, and of course, you know, Gramsci's not going to shy away from from big terms, but it's already a little academic sometimes to, to um, dive into theory and sometimes that playfulness. That's why we like the dig so much when, when Lennon would roast someone is because that that makes it feel more conversational and 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 helps helps it uh, be absorbed a little bit better so i'm uh, i'm happy to hear that but you're right we do got to keep it in our heads i also just think that philosophy of praxis is the fucking best damn term of all time and we should just i don't know use it more name a gramsci fan club after it something like that forget marxism i'm just gonna say philosophy of praxis for now on <laughs> Okay, so part one, structure and superstructure, part one. <laughs> so there's like three parts to this structure and superstructure. So there's in the prison notebooks, if you decide to get the Buddha guide, the daddy Buddha guide, like prison notebooks thing, you will actually see like different iterations of what he was writing because this was just like him handwriting stuff where he'll just write something out, cross it out. And then on the next page or a few pages later, he'll rewrite it with a different idea, a slightly different variation. Or he'll even say like this, I completely fucked this up. I was wrong. Here's a new version. So we can even see how his idea of the structure and superstructure changes over these three different sections. So this is his first iteration of structure and superstructure. Economy and ideology. The claim, presented as an essential postulate of historical materialism, that every fluctuation of politics and ideology can be presented and expounded as an immediate expression of the structure, must be contested in theory as primitive infantilism, and combated in practice with the authentic, authentic testimony of Marx, the author, the author of concrete political and historical works. Particularly important from this point of view are the 18th Brumaire 
and the writings on the Eastern question, but also other writings, so the Eastern question meaning Russia, but also other writings, revolution and counter-revolution in Germany, the civil war in France, and lesser works. An analysis of these works allows one to better establish, to establish better the Marxist historical methodology, integrating and illuminating, integrating, illuminating, and interpreting the theoretical affirmations scattered throughout his works. One will be able to see from this from this, the real precautions introduced by Marx into his concrete researches, precautions which could have no place in his general works. Among these precautions, the following, following examples can be enumerated. Uh, oh, so I guess the just a side note before I get into the list, um, like if you actually read through Marx, he doesn't really talk about the superstructure very much. He wants to talk about it in like the final volumes of Capital, but he died before then. And that's why Gramsci's now talking about you got to pull from all of these different sources and marks and you can get an idea. So yeah, among then, these precautions, the following examples can be enumerated. One, well, I was, I was just going to cut him before that say, say with marks with that too, not writing about the superstructure. You do also have to remember that the, the time he's writing in the philosophers he's he's up against he's you know this is the the idealist dialectic era so yeah. you know there's a reason marx emphasized things that doesn't mean that 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 should have statically the most importance in his theory yeah some of his most important early works was like you guys are focusing too much on the superstructure <laughs> you got to get to the base a little bit um but yeah so one the difficulty of identifying at any given time statically, like an instantaneous photographic image, the structure. Politics, in fact, is at any given time the reflection of the tendencies of development in the structure, but it is not necessarily the case that these tendencies must be realized. A structural phase can be concretely studied and analyzed only after it has gone through its whole process of development and not during the process itself, except hypothetically and with the explicit provisio, uh, provision that one is dealing with these, with hypotheses. Two, from this, it can be deduced that a particular political act may have been an error of calculation on the part of the leaders of the dominant classes, an error which historical development through the parliamentary and governmental quote-unquote crises of the ruling classes then corrects and goes beyond historical mechanical historical materialism does not allow for the possibility of error but assumes that every every political act is determined immediately by the structure and therefore as a real and permanent in the sense of achieved modification of the structure and we hear this a lot too, and in, in like the ruling class allowed or decided that they were going to begin allowing unions in the 1930s and all of that stuff. That this, it's it seems very uh, predetermined or predeterministic. That's kind of what he's criticizing. The principle of the of error is a complex one. One may be dealing with an individual impulse based on mistaken calculations, or equally, it may be a manifestation of, a, of the attempts of specific groups or sects to take over hegemony within the dis directive grouping, attempts which may well be unsuccessful. Three, it is not sufficiently borne in mind that many political acts are due to internal necessities of an organizational character. That is, they are tied to the need to give co coherence to a party, a group, a society. This is made clear, for example, in the history of the Catholic Church. If for every ideological struggle within the church, one wanted to find an immediate primary explanation in the structure, one would really be caught napping. All sorts of political economic romances have been written for this reason. 
It is evident, on the contrary, that the majority of these discussions are connected with sectarian and organizational necessities. In the discussion between Rome and Byzantium on the processions of the Holy Spirit, it would be ridiculous to look in the structure of the European East for the claim that it proceeds only from the Father, and in that of the West for the claim that it proceeds from the Father and the Son. The two churches whose existence and whose conflict is dependent on the structure and on the whole of history pose questions which are principles of distinction and internal cohesion for each side. But it could have happened that either side of the churches could have argued what in fact was argued by the other. The principle of distinction and conflict would have been upheld all the same. And it is this problem of distinction and conflict that constitutes the historical problem, not the banner that happened to be hoisted by one side or the other. Structure and superstructure two. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold yeah. on. <laughs> that, that needs this. Secondly, my God, that is like my favorite Gramsci part ever yet. So I feel like you say that every couple. I know. It's getting better. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to fish for this this kind of idea, but on a different level the other day because I've seen people make a different kind of mechanical error where – and and I was on, on social media about it. Um, and, and it just reminded me of some other conversations I had with people in person where, where they get overly mechanical, you know, there's like, why do they do that? You know, why would this country do this type stuff? And it was where I was going into class is a series of individual interests that align and your conditions that make those interests align is what define your class, right? That's why to be bourgeoisie, you have to own private property. Now you have the interest of defending private property. And so do all of these other ruling class individuals who share that same interest. You don't have to conspire for that interest. Like conspiracies happen. Ruling class people that people that have power will conspire to keep their power. But a lot of times it's just shared fucking interest. And now that's a different, different level, different aspect of that. Um, But, but this is explaining like not, not being overly mechanical. And I really, I just, I think, I think that's the beauty of Gramsci he opens up like we're coming from materials we're coming from from material analysis and and starting with the evidence and drawing our conclusions let's draw complete conclusions fully from the env- evidence that makes sense and it just extrapolates out all of the necessary nuances and details of this shit and 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 this is on like kind of a different subject from it right because it's talking about like errors rather than the individual interest, but, but breaking away from the rigid, like this has to explain this um, for us to know that we have the correct large political understanding in order to go forward and analyze things. Well, it's also like looking at the conclusion to justify your conclusion. So it's like, why did the, to, to stick with the church thing, but also to stick with like, I don't know, modern geopolitical thing. Like why did these two groups make, different decisions they made it because they're different like that's not <laughs> that's not a good analysis yeah, yeah we different do that all the time are... it's like america and russia make different decisions because they're diametrically opposed to their to in to their own interests yeah um, instead no. of just they're different <laughs> it's not how it works yeah um <laughs> yeah so it's just messy as hell i guess is the the summary but so and it does also kind of go back to what we were just talking about before, where look what Marx was writing against and 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 look at what sometimes we're going against as uh, Marxists in the West, right, is as we have to push against like hyper individualism and and, you know, the idealism that that carries that. But we've got to step back and be like, OK, we we got to live in the world and draw these real conclusions. And, and, and these real conclusions are all of these big moving parts are a summation of a bunch of little moving parts that are all going the same direction, but they can flail different directions in between and act differently. And we, we always have to be in touch with that real time, real world. Structure 
Structure and superstructure two. So this is like an addendum because this is only like one additional paragraph. The proposition contained in the preface to a contribution to the critique of political economy to the effect that men acquire consciousness of structural conflicts on the level of ideology should be considered as an affirmation of the epistemological and not simply psychological and moral value. From this, it follows that the theoretical, practical, theoretical dash practical principle of hegemony as also has also an epistemological significance. And it is here that Illich, meaning Lenin, Lenin's greatest theoretical contribution to the philosophy of praxis, here's the one-to-one stuff that I was mentioning before, should be sought. In these terms, one should say that Illich advanced philosophy as philosophy insofar as he advanced political doctrine and practice. The realization of a hegemonic apparatus insofar as it creates a new ideological terrain determines a reform of consciousness and of methods of knowledge. It is a fact of knowledge, a philosophical fact. In Crochian terms, so Benedetto Croce, in the, in the terms of his own philosophy, in Crochean terms, when one succeeds in introducing a new morality and conformity with a new conception of the world, one finishes by introducing, introducing the conception as well. In other words, one determines a reform of the whole of philosophy. Structure and superstructures three. Structure and superstructures form a historical block. That is to say, the complex, contradictory, and discordant ensemble of the superstructures is the reflection of the ensemble of the social relations of production. From this, one can conclude that only a totalitarian system of ideologies Gives a, re- gives a rational reflection of the contradiction of the structure and represents the existence of the objective conditions for the revolutionizing of praxis. Again, he's, he's using praxis as a standism, stand-in for Marxism, but also he's being very creative with that one-to-one so praxis means marxism but in this case it also doesn't in a way so think of praxis as revolutionary action rather than marxism itself so revolution or revolutionary action is what he means when he talks about praxis and philosophy of praxis is the philosophy of revolutionary action so i guess it's a this is philosophy of practice is a good replacement if you don't want to be uh, naming things after people. <laughs> um, represents the, existent of, the existence of objective conditions for the revolutionizing of praxis, meaning revolutionary action. If a social group is formed, which is 100% homogenous on the level of ideology, This means that the premises exist 100% for this revolutionizing. That is the rational is actively and actually real. This reasoning is based on the necessary reciprocity between the structure and superstructures, a reciprocity which is nothing other than the real dialectical process. So that is the end of our uh, structure and superstructure section. And from there, um, I guess I can start reading for the concept of the historical block, unless there's anything else to go over, Prez, with that. No, no. I think that was self-explanatory now, unless you guys think there's any clarification. Oh, I don't think there's clarification. I could just blather on about how good it was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well then we're going to move on to section or Chukmanitu, did you want to read? 
I can gladly read. Uh, okay. Wait, where are we? We're at section four, uh, the concept yeah, okay. of historical block. So, Crochet's, right? Yeah. Okay, Crochet's assertion, the ph- philosophy of praxis detaches the structure from the superstructures, thereby reviving theological dualism and post- positing a structure as hitting God is not correct and is not even a particularly profound, a particularly profound invention. The accusation of theological dualism and of breaking up the process of reality is vacuous and superficial. It is strange that such an accusation should have come from Crochet, who introduced the concept of the dialectic of distincts, and for this is always being accused by the followers of Gentile of having broken up the process of reality. But leaving this aside, it is not true that the philosophy of praxis detaches the structure from the superstructures when rather it conceives their development as intimately connected and necessarily interrelated and reciprocal. Nor can the structure be likened to a hidden God, even metaphorically. It is conceived in an ultra-realistic way, such that it can be studied with the methods of the natural and exact sciences. Indeed, it is precisely because of this objectively verifiable consistency of the structure that the conception of history has been considered scientific. It is perhaps that the structure is thought of as something immobile and absolute, and not rather as reality itself in movement. And does not the statement of the thesis of Feuerbach uh, about the educator who must be educated posit a necessary relation of active reaction by man upon the structure affirming the unity of the process of reality. Oh, there's that that you 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 mentioned we'd feel. Uh, what what was your words? Inadequate. <laughs> Inadequate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just imagine like being locked in a room and then quoting Feuerbach. Yeah. Quoting species on <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That he probably didn't pick up in years. <laughs> I I mean, like, I've read it once when I was, like, 19 or something like that, probably because of some Gramsci conversation we had, you know? Yeah. Okay, so where were we? Uh, the concept of historical block constructed by Sorel grasps precisely in full this unity upheld by the philosophy of praxis. And then there's an eclipse. Eclipses? Ellipses. Ellipses. Uh, Eclipses. Ellipses. Yeah. Um, Then usually what happens, especially in the prison notebooks, is it's handwritten. So a lot of times is the page will be missing or he just stops writing for a variety of reasons or it just becomes illegible Mm. and Uh, it just ends. (laughs) I do like, in that last section, I'm listening to it and I'm feeling like crochet i I feeling him has the old like you know old doesn't existed long before older uh more sophisticated version of the like socialism so idealistic and it's it's good until everybody's poor shit like it's rooted in nothing well so like remember gramsci studied under crochet so um, imagine writing this and then spending that amount of sentences just shitting on your dissertation thesis advisor, which is what just happened there. But um, Crochet was one of the biggest, uh, like, liberal Italian political philosophers immediately after Italy became a unified country. Um, and he was big into the idea of like Italian democracy as a as a vague idea. So all of the bullshit that 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 entails. So was the Tocqueville and all of that kind of nonsense. <laughs> nice. Um... I guess with that, we could move on to section five of hegemony of political leadership of constant of consent in the life and activities of the state and civil society. The most important problem to discuss in this paragraph is this, whether the philosophy, the philosophy of praxis includes ethical political history, whether it fails to recognize the reality of a moment of a moment of hegemony 
treats moral and cultural leadership as unimportant and really judges superstructural facts as appearances. Wait, what? It fails to recognize. Okay. Uh, one can say that not only does the philosophy, the philosophy of practice not exclude ethical political history, but that indeed it is in its most recent stage of development. It consists precisely in asserting the moment of hegemony as essential to its conception of the state and to the accrediting of the cultural fact of cultural activity of cultural front as necessary alongside the merely economic and political ones. Crochet commits the serious ever error of not applying his criticism of the philosophy of practice, a praxis, uh, the method, methodological criteria that he applies to his study of much less important and significant philosophical currents. If he were to employ these criteria, he would be able to discover that the judgment contained in his attribution of the term appearance to superstructures is none other than a judgment of the historic 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 historicity. That doesn't sound right. Expressed in opposition to popular dogmatic conceptions and therefore couched in a metaphorical language adapted to the public to whom it is destined. The philosophy of praxis thus judges the re reduction of history to ethical political history alone as improper and arbitrary, but it does not exclude the latter. The opposition between Crochism and the philosophy of praxis is to be sought in the speculative character of Crochism. From everything that, oh, uh, ethical, political history and hegemony. Um, from everything that has been said previously, it emerges that Crochet's historial, historiographical conception of history as ethical, political history must not be judged as futile, as something to be rejected out of hand. On the contrary, it needs to be forcefully established that Crochet's historical thought, even in its most recent phase, must be studied and reflected upon with the greatest attention. Essentially, it represents a reaction against economism and fatalistic mecha me mechanicisms. Mechan what the fuck? I hate these words. <laughs> Even though it is put forward as the destructive supersession of the philosophy of praxis, the criterion that a philosophical current must be criticized and evaluated, not for what it professes to be, but for what it really is and shows itself to be concretely historical works applies to Crochet's thought too. For the philosophy of praxis, the speculative method in itself is not futile, but has generated instrumental values of thought in the development of culture, instrumental values with the which the philosophy of praxis has incorporated, that dialectic, for example. Uh, credit must therefore, at the very least, be given to Crochet's thought as an instrumental value, and in this respect, it may be said that it has forcefully drawn attention to the importance of facts of culture and thought in the development of history, to the function of great intellectuals in the organic life of civil society in the state, to the moment of hegemony and consent of the necessary form of the concrete historical block. <sighs> That this is not futile is demonstrated by the fact that the same period as Crochet, the greatest modern theorist of the philosophy of praxis, Lenin, has on the terrain of political struggle and organization, and with political terminology, in opposition to the various tendencies of economism, revalued the front of cultural struggle and constructed the doctrine of hegemony as com complemented the theory of state as force, and as a contemporary form of the 1848 doctrine of a permanent revolution. For the philosophy of praxis, the conception of ethical political history and that it is independent of any realist conception may be adopted as an empirical tool of historical research, one which needs constantly to be borne in mind and examining and understanding historical development, if the aim is that of producing integral history and not partial and extrinsic history, history of economic forces as such, etc. So did all of that make sense? <laughs> Somewhat. So like kind of what I'm getting is that Crochet, even though he's overcorrecting for the economism of the time in Italy, you know, he's kind of on the right track and is uh, affirmed by Lenin's own um, foray into a similar concept. Right. Yeah. And, I'm going to assume also based on the date of this Lenin's foray and a similar concept probably is that revolving around like national question and stuff like that. 
um, or which aspect of Luna. I wonder what he's referring to, but that's, that's kind of what I got from the, the reading too, right? Is like, we can't just ignore this. We just need to couch it against history. We can't break it either direction. Yeah. So for this, Gramsci is saying crochet makes the right call in saying that history can teach us something. It's not just all the economy, but the whole reason that it's called ethico, uh, ethico political history um, is because there's an ethic derived out of it. So for crochet, and we hear this all the time too today, that um, like whenever we read a history book, there's some kind of stupid ass moral lesson to pull out of the study of history and <laughs> learn how we should be acting, how we should have acted during this time period. Or this is, this is why the, the, the Romans lost their empire because they lost the, the, uh, the grit or the, the right morality or whatever the fuck. So even though he was the, 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 the historical analysis was there, the speculation was still there. So the, the part about Lenin was that Lenin had that right where you don't speculate, you do an actual historical material analysis of the situation. And you're not trying to just put on your own uh, show about what you think should be and is and was and want it to be. You want it to you want to examine what is and was at the time rather than trying to put your own modern sensibilities on something that happened 10, 20, 400 years ago. And with that, and like I said, I, I would be interested in, in what specifically Gramsci's uh, citing from Lenin there, because I, there's, I guess, a few ways it could go, but I just, I wonder which one Gramsci intended, right? If it was um, more about like, you know, party building and, and, and things like that, or if it was more about uh, other sort of like, you know, pairing with the, the, the peasants or national question type stuff too, but, or maybe yeah. I'll, I don't know. Um, but regardless of that, uh, I think that's a good stopping point for today. Um, yeah, because so. next we go into political ideology. Yeah, that'll be a big section, and it'll tie to the following sections of ideologies. So, uh, with that, this has been Mark's Madness Pod, part of Chunkalutin Network. We read books. Um, there's a number of ways of getting a hold of us. Uh, you can, and I'm actually doing the outro with Shimani to here. Why am I doing that? Uh, go ahead. Yeah. No, you uh, wish I, I tried and then I fucked it up. So oh, no, <laughs> and then I went out of town for a week delivering people wood. So you went out of town doing important shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. I kept people alive. Yeah. How dare you? We have a podcast, a podcast come on God damn it the people demand my voice anyway uh <laughs> so here's my 20 minute closer maybe uh you know you can get a hold of us at marksmanispod at gmail.com or chunkaluta uh, network at gmail.com or also proton.me um just do the gmail don't be a weirdo um <laughs> i don't know we have i probably should have you do the proton but i don't care uh, i only check the gmail so <laughs> Somebody else might see that other one, but I don't care. Uh, then, of course, we have a bunch of social medias listed on our link tree that you can go check out. Um, we just launched the YouTube channel. Uh, we're going to be posting videos as they come out of the winter drive we just did. And we're still finishing the other half of our goals for that. Uh, the big one right now is we're shooting for $1,700 more um, to buy a two bedroom um, trailer to house uh, a couple Lakota elders until we can get other non-permanent housing built for them. And uh, it's just $2,000 for a trailer and they're, they'll move it for free. And uh, in return, we get land and trust. So it's a win-win. Uh, and it's like 
$15,000 value minimum, you know, <laughs> for $2,000. That's a deal. All right. Um, I don't know when this will get out and if it'll get out in time, this might've already been raised. If it has been, you can then direct it to one of the other GoFundMes listed on the link tree, or you can become a monthly sustainer for our tech budget and, uh, organizing efforts on Pine Ridge, um, well, via the Patreon or the li- li- Libra pay. Well, Libra pay doesn't take any cut, but then you have to email us about getting your content early. Um, cause it all comes out free anyway. So, you know, you just get it early. Um, but with the Patreon, you instantly get it early, but, uh, they take more money. Um, so win lose there. Um, anyway, uh, we're trying to get up to $2,000 a month this year to sustain three, um, $500 stipends for our permaculture expert. Who's going to be living on the land. Um, they single-handedly brought back tree frogs to their watershed. It's, it's a worthwhile investment. Uh, so their plan is to bring back a black-footed ferret to help take care of the prairie dog problem. Um, very cool. <laughs> I don't know. I'm super excited about that. And then uh, another person in Toronto who already organizes a large network of um, farmers to sustain uh, one of the largest encampments in the Toronto area. Uh, but he, uh, they are... You know, they're struggling to afford to live in Toronto. So we'd get them a $500 stipend. So they'd also, you know, um, help organize us online as well as um, further connect uh, the Great Lakes region um, like we have been. Because obviously I'm over here in Michigan. They're just on the other side of the border in Ontario. So it's an obvious connection. Um, and so they were working on uh, filling a shipping container. That's uh, the other part of the winter drive. Um, that's going to be filled up there and then sent over the border. Um, we kind of need this quickly. So that way th- this person can like, um, have part of their living space back, you know, cause they're just sort of like hoarding a bunch of shit for us right now. And I feel kind of bad for them. Um, and then their van just broke down. So like they were going to cover the costs of the trailer or well, the shipping container initially, but now we kind of need it sooner. Cause that, van just like totaled so it's you know we win and then we you two steps forward one step back kind of deal um at least it's not two steps back uh, <laughs> um and then like uh, you, uh we're building a community center and so it, it just takes a lot to you know, consistently work on that but we've been asked by the headsman of the achete shakawain to help produce the national ids and passports so we're kind of looking for people who know what that takes. So reach out. Uh, other than that, we've secured a diesel mechanic to work on the projects with us. Uh, welder. Uh, we found all the contractors we needed. We probably already found the funding for the building. It's mostly just getting estimates for the funder, uh, the investors or whatever you want to call them. But um, you know, like there's a, there's a lot happening this year. So, you know, be a part of it, you know, Join, come and just watch, see what we do. You literally don't even have to do anything besides support us, you know. <laughs> but I recommend you actually do get involved and we'll figure out a way for you to do that. Just reach out, you know. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think that's all I need to come. Oh, fuck. Oh, we just launched the Indigenous Anti Colonial Institute. Um, a bunch of natives rick from decolonized buffalo put together um that's growing um it's basically like a a counter to the midwestern marks bullshit <laughs> like i don't know if you guys know but my name on twitter is at decolonial marks as a joke because they call themselves midwestern marks so i'm like <laughs> okay i'm decolonial marks then fuck off <laughs> so you know that's uh that's about all i have for you Okay, great. Um, so with that, uh, this has been Mark's Manus Pod. We read books, part of Chunkalutin Network. My name's David. I'm Chris. And I'm Shumani too. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Oh, Bye. Yeah.